everyone. Everyone, welcome back to the Wine Tech Insiders Podcast. Today we have all our insiders with us. We have Lori Mao Chinery. We have Hi. Nick from Wine Owners. <laughs> Jonathan from Bottle Books. Hi, everyone. And Seb from Trolley. Good morning, boys and girls. We are going to use the power of these four brains and the knowledge of years of working in wine tech to look at what are the ideas, the startup ideas, um, what are the crazy ideas. Um, ideas, of course, that uh, if they're good, we might not even publish this, uh, or that you can take and make your own wine tech uh, startups if you're looking into uh, what to do in the space. Let's start off with the challenges, the problems uh, in uh, different areas of wine tech. I mean, wine tech's big. We talk about it all the time. Um, <laughs> uh, just to give you a kind of overview again, uh, Nick, uh, Nick with wine owners uh, deals with seller management and wine management. Jonathan at Bottle Books deals with exchange of wine information. Uh, Outshinery deals with amazing images and creating them um, um, with computers. Um, and Seb is an e-commerce tool with Trolley is an e-commerce tool for wineries. Um, and then there's a number of other areas. There's production tech. Um, there are there are finite areas that uh, our businesses don't get into too much. Um, and then there's, of course, new things that emerge all the time. Um, okay, let's look at uh, some of the key challenges, the key problems that exist. Um, let's start off somewhere really exciting in data and infrastructure. Um, I'm sure uh, <laughs> that's where everyone wanted to start, but... Uh, I think it's it's good because it's kind of the backbone of how everything works. Um, you know, what's broken right now? Uh, I don't know. Jonathan, do you want to start uh, in what what really um, is something that you could see uh, being the big challenge over the next year? Something that's broken now, um, something that um, could really um, uh, uh, be a great startup area to 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 pursue. I think in data and infrastructure, it's a topic that affects uh, sort of all of our businesses, which is the integration of the systems together. From an infrastructure perspective, it's been great with all the cloud services being able, I mean, most of our softwares are all based on cloud nowadays. And so um, to some extent, you know, infrastructure is, is there when people are needed, but um, there's still a lot of breakages in the system um, in terms of of um, exchanging information globally or even even locally, um, and I think all of our businesses have an aspect of connecting systems um, to it. But you know, we're just scratching the surface. We're just we're just you know four businesses that are with four different topics. But there's so many different uh, types of systems and countries to be connected. There's still a lot of manual information exchange out there um, that is costing a lot of a lot of companies a lot of time and that costs money. <laughs> and look that that lack of integrated uh, data uh, ultimately has an impact on the overall movement of products. 
right? So we know that the industry is dominated by small producers in terms of how many producers there are, even though there is a, a hand, well, I wouldn't say a handful, but there's, you know, a hundred odd companies dominating on sales, right? They own the market in terms of sales and the lack of data is preventing those small players from having their product known to a greater circle uh, so than you know the 200 and 500k around their property kind of a thing so uh, for a small producer to be discovered uh, into the normal local regional national and international market that requires data uh, and that lack of integration that lack of data is preventing them from actually having their their creation their art being discovered yeah what's interesting i just wanted to put some numbers here that i have handy um, not so much related just to the world of wine, but like to the world of like consumer goods as a whole. Uh, in the last year, 12%, uh, that's what company like lost in terms of revenue um, due to bad data, like a study by Experian. And technically, so we're looking at the world at CPG as a whole, but that's the estimate that is about $3 trillion that IBM estimated that like combined, like that's what was lost in sales because of poor product data. So it's interesting to see that these challenges it's existing like across like multiple industries uh, in the world of like retail and CPG, but it's I think extra complicated in the world of wine. So and we, we also have on, on top of uh, on top of uh, missing data structures, we also have a, a rather subjective kind of a product. At large in the industry, it's actually really hard to compare a Pinot with another Pinot. Uh, they're different products. They have different sort of art variations from the winemaker, uh, as opposed to a pair of shoes. If you're looking at uh, like shoes to go in the water, for instance, yes, there are different brands, but there's not that many. Uh, and there's comparatives in materials being used. If you're looking for a jacket, uh, there's a Gore-Tex materials, there's some Gore-Tex equivalent materials, there's different materials that are broadly used and, and understood. That doesn't exist in wine. Wine mm -hmm. is very subjective, wine is an experience. So not only is the data sources fragmented, the data transport borderline missing um, overall as a, as a market. So the data opportunity is massive. Uh, the challenge is we're talking about a huge market and an enormous number of producers, an enormous number of products which change each year. Mm -hmm. uh, so yeah, the 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 the, uh, the challenge is paramount. It's huge. Nick, I, I, do you see any technology out? What's the most promising tech? Are we talking QR codes, uh, um, uh, blockchain? I mean, it, are there any of these kind of technologies that are not so much future technologies that are sort of there but just not implemented wide enough any of those could, could solve this issue um I, I think the issue is more fundamental than 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 things like blockchain which 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 clearly you know i think as we perhaps touched upon before clearly has a place uh, in terms of traceability and distribution in particular and you know is 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 by all accounts reasonably well integrated across um certain cb cpg um uh, channels of supply or supply chains um but i think i think you know at, back to jonathan's points i think i think you know we are we are we are in a we are in a fragmented market we're in a market where we have enormous 
uh, an enormous degree of product variability. There's a lack of standardization um, and, um, and there's a lack of systematic uh, communication that takes place between the different bits of, of the market. So, so actually by, by concentrating and worrying about the plumbing, you know, how, how can we build frameworks that do a better job of connecting people up together to make the process of sourcing wine and selling wine less manual, much more embedded and, and systemized between um, the, um, uh, the platforms that businesses use to run on. I think, I think that is probably the first and immediate challenge. And, and that also, you use the word infrastructure, I think starts to build the infrastructure that's currently completely missing. There are significant gaps in any market that um, in any of the geographical markets, I mean, that that um, you might choose to, to pick. Um, and, and I think the first challenge is how can we build infrastructure? How can we leverage um, businesses like Bottle Books, like LiveX with their L-Wing codes um, and referential data in order to provide the common language for people to be able to then use the infrastructure, use the plumbing to systemize the, the, the buying, basically the, the, the order processing flows um, that, that are today so manual. Is this yeah. um, a problem of having, you know, you have, if you have systems that work really well, I think there is a fear that then you have big players have, will have more power. And there's a kind of chaotic fragmentation in the wine industry that is charming and wonderful and annoying and, and you know, stops progress and all of that. Is that a natural to the wine business or is that like, I mean, is this, I always wonder if it's, if it's just a, a, about, you know, growing up or it's some, or maybe, maybe it's a tension between two polar opposites that have, you know, good um, pluses and minuses. So I kind of actually think that, that by having this fragmentation, by not joining the market up, um, that, um, it creates friction that probably is ultimately to, if, if it's to the benefit of anybody, it's to the benefit of the bigger players. It's definitely not to the benefit of the specialists and the, and the, and the SME part of the market. And, um, you know, I think that, I think that we know it's, we know it's a market that's lagged and that has been slow to invest, uh, but that there have been catalysts over the last three years that um, are, are reasons why more of the market is now thinking about investing, is thinking, is worrying about getting left behind. And I think that the more that we can connect up sources of supply with channels of distribution and uh, sales channels to market, the more it will help the the SMEs to level up. The the more it it will um, it will it will bring 
Um, it will bring money and it'll bring capital into the market to sort these problems out and provide the rationale for smaller businesses to invest and to join up. But I think we're, I think what's, what's interesting is I think some of the, it's a topic that we're all kind of touching on, but we're also kind of skirting, which is that um, it's, it's a challenge that the wine tech industry has or wine tech companies have in general which is um, convincing people to, to embrace digital. And so that's, it's one thing to have the tech. There's a lot of solutions that have been built that have also disappeared because they weren't able to convert enough people quickly enough. Um, and that's a challenge in general. I think it's a challenge that's, that is not always universal to, to industries. It's, um, I think the wine industry is, um, has, this is is more resistant to change. And I think, you know, democracy is one of the characteristics of democracy is it does tend to slow things down in the in the wine industry. Um, I think relationships, they have their strengths, but they also um, tend to slow down the change that it's, it's it, that you, in other industries, I think you would just, people would just break it or whoever's faster is going to win or a better, better price or a better or quicker to market or, and, and speed and price count in other markets in the wine industry. That's not the whole picture. And that's, that has its, that has its positives, but that when it comes to digitalization, um, I think it's also one of the things that contributes to slowing it down and well, just driving up the cost of digitalization because it just mm -hmm. it's decisions that would be obvious based on the business case don't get made for on that on that basis all right let's go to the other end of the spectrum um online sales uh what sub let's start off with you what are the problems with online sales what what are the crazy ideas the crazy things that might break through in the next years oh, there, there's two sides to the problem online uh first and foremost um there is still that element of fragmentation. Uh, and so there are so many wine producers around the globe that consumers struggle to, to discover. That fragmentation also brings a, a very inconsistent user experience. Um, so consumers have to go through different checkout experiences, different, different costs for shipping, different things. So consumers don't really have a way of just browsing through wines and trying to discover wines, which I suspect is something Vivino has got uh, in its in its um, in its site. But the idea here is that uh, if you're going direct from producer, the technology changes all the time, uh, and so that fragmentation is really difficult. But the other angle that's extremely tricky that many have tried is how do we enable the discovery. How do we enable a piece of technology to support a customer into discovering something new, discovering something they're going to like, discovering a product which is compared subjectively, which is experienced differently from one person to another? Um, and how do we help consumers trust that they can buy without tasting? Right, you can buy a pair of shoes and you might want to return it. Yeah, that kind of works. You can buy a pair of shoes because you've had the same before. That kind of works as well. When it comes to a, a wine, which you had a similar vintage three years ago, oh, that element of trust is not quite there, right? 
Uh, and then when it comes to having some sort of an AI or some sort of a, a pairing suggestion or having some sort of an app to help you find a similar bottle based on different characteristics, that never really took off. That never really, that problem was never really uh, fixed or addressed. And combined with the difficult e-commerce uh, environment and shopping experience, uh, it's very hard for a consumer to say, look, I'll, I'll order a case of 12 bottles. And if I don't like it, I'll ship back 11 bottles. Uh, mm -hmm. That is not really being enabled right now. So on the consumer mm -hmm. end, there's an enormous amount of uh, frustration from the technology. There's an enormous amount of frustration from discovering different products without having to visit the winery. Uh, and uh, thir third and foremost, the, there's also uh, on the consumer side, you're, you're looking at changing consumer preferences, changing consumer behaviors. Uh, you're looking at new new packaging format. You're looking at new drink styles and, and drinks being organized. Uh, and ultimately, consumers are not necessarily adopting the new generation. So we're looking at the, the, the Gen Z, the Gen X, well, Gen X, not really, but the new kids around the block. And they're not so interested in opening a full bottle of wine and just drinking it you know, randomly at home. Uh, they kind of want to try a smaller version. They want to try different wines. They want to have a bit of a sample pack. Uh, so the third leg is really that the consumer habits are changing. And look, the wine industry overall, for different reason, uh, is adapting differently to how uh, we're dealing with that. So technology is a challenge. Discovery is a challenge. And consumer behaviors are changing. Yeah. And I think, like, for me, like, one of the... Um the thing i see as well like especially online is just like how do we make wine purchasing i think you touched a bit on that set but even further like less like siloed you know like i think um i was watching a webinar by drizzly uh the online sale like in the us and they were saying that 80 percent of the non-alcoholic beverage so effectively you know pop but that can't be called pop like they're elevated as sold in orders that have alcohol in them. So they kind of add around the checkout option. And, you know, are, are you looking as well to add this or add this? Like, it's like, and people like add 80% of the order. And for me, it was just like, wouldn't it be a great opportunity to legally, like, doing it the other way around? Like, hey, we notice you have that in your cart. You may be preparing this dish, or you're just like, it looks like, you're big into like, you're cooking something Asian that's got like peanut sauce or whatever. Have you considered like, this could be a great wine pairing to go, you know, to go with what you are already showing us, not in the world of wine that you are enjoying. Like, I don't know like how, you know, like, like the visibility, the capabilities, but I see an opportunity for the wine to go beyond taste and preference in wine or in alcohol for the on the side of the user yeah and fit more into their life and their behavior so um, i'm going to right. come up oh. sorry go ahead <laughs> Shall i come up this one with a slightly different perspective so i'm, I'm going to set aside the issues of customer experience and engagement and the ease of kind of figuring out what they like and what they don't like because you guys have covered that very well i think what i will touch upon is again to the point that this is a sort of a long tail industry uh, actually what what is what are the things that have held people back from actually having an effective e-commerce uh, or or 
you know, um, just just doing it justice from the perspective of their own business. And I think the the big the big challenge has been that that businesses have been really poor at data mastering. They then, as a consequence of which, they do not have a single version of truth. As a consequence of which, they can't effectively run an effective omni-channel or multi-channel strategy. And you know, obviously, hands up, that's what that's what we do with WineHub. But it it is transformational if you are able to maintain a single version of the truth, master all of your data in one place, master all of your, you know, all of your product details and definitions from bottle, bottle books and, and um, you know, uh, the critics, the, what the critics think of things and what other people think of things and your bottle shots and your labels and your pricing and your discounts and just everything everything is in one place and you determine what channels you're going to allocate different products to and you just manage it centrally all of a sudden the overhead of managing and running an e-commerce shrinks dramatically and it just becomes another channel that you happen to be selling through you know just as if just as just as you know picking up the phone's a channel or Vivino's a channel or whatever so um, or Livex is a channel for the fine wine sort of trading end of the market. So that, that's the bit that I think still people, you know, most businesses haven't nailed it yet. And 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 um and it and it will transform the profitability of their e-commerce channel simply by sorting out those fundamentals. And look, it's 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 fascinating because uh, it's not just wine. Uh, you're looking at, I mean, craft beer is a really good example. Craft beer has adopted technology widely in the last 20 years. Uh, and craft beers, at least in the US, is now uh, a, a greater amount of sales uh, than mass-produced beers, right? Over 50% of beers being sold are craft beers, small production beers. Beers does scale a bit more on the production front. Uh, although when you look at cheese, well, it's the same thing with cheese. You get a few, a few sort of a prepackaged goods cheese on the shelves at the store, and then if you want to discover some really good cheese cheeses, uh, it's actually very difficult. It's very hard as a consumer to try and find one, and the technology that may or may not have been adopted by the producer is often limited. Um, so I kind of buy in with what Nick is saying here, where ultimately it really doesn't matter what technology producers are using. They just need to use one and just try and, and make do with it. It's, it's, it's a better starting point than having nothing. Uh, and look, there is also in the world of wine, it's probably one of the few uh, craft products uh, that travel around the world, right? It's mm -hmm. very, very unlikely that you're, you're in, 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 I don't know, in, BC and you're going to find a Sydney made craft cheese, for instance, but you could find a Pocobin Hunter Valley wine uh, at a wine shop. Um, so wine on top of that, the producers are trying to develop new markets and they don't really own their own local market. So we have a number of different layers of complexity uh, in, in the scheme of things. Um, and look again, I think that the, the, the word here is just a technology is better than no technology irrespective of what that technology is. And my, my impression is that there's a lot of, look, we're dealing with small businesses. 
producers are generally a fairly small business, same as a lot of small farmers. And the idea here is a lot of them are kind of waiting for the technology. A lot of them are kind of thinking, well, this is not addressing A and B and C, it's only addressing A. Mm -hmm. uh, and so that resistance to adoption or, or the, the waiting period to a final technology, it could be going on forever. Um, so mm -hmm. adopting a technology right now today, just to try and, and, and organize your data, organize your cells is a really good starting point. So what about you, you, you go into the grocery store, the liquor store, the Monopoly, the wherever you buy your, your wine. Um, uh, Jonathan, what are the challenges there? What, what's missing in that experience for consumers? Um, where, where are the opportunities? Well, I think you're gonna have to cut this one out. I don't know. <laughs> uh, I don't go to the wine shop to buy wine a lot. Uh, I'll go to the grocery store and uh, um, yeah, I don't do too much on the e-com side of things. So I'm not, I'm not certain where the issue is. It's like, I think, I think the, I guess that's an issue. I guess that's an issue is, is, is that Correct. Uh, how do you, and, and look, like, I, I'm, I'm in the wine industry and I, and I'm, gone to one wine event this fall so and all of us are, are part of the industry and all of us have walked into a bottle shop in the last say six months 12 months and the experience is always the same irrespective of the country irrespective of of the, the type of shop you're walking into normally nine times out of ten you're going to have a look at the shelf and compare labels compare prices and you might have a look at okay the region if you have a bit of knowledge about the industry Okay, what yeah. kind of a style, what kind of body, the, the discovery experience, uh, due to that lack of data integration, uh, the discovery experience has been has been very patchy at best. Uh, and you, I think, yeah, go, for, go for it, Laurie. You know what I would love to see to experiment? And that's like, you know, so I think it's more or less like in all like the countries we're in, but it's especially true like in North America, when you enter a bottle shop, maybe like one run by the the state, the province, or even like the private liquor stores, you enter the store, you have a little bit the categories. So maybe you have like spirit on one side, RTDs that used to be in the bottom corner that are now much more front and center because those are selling like hotcakes and then wine. And when, when you go to the wine, it's just countries. Here is what Italy is doing. Here is what Spain is doing. Here is what Portugal is doing. And I would challenge you know, I know a little bit about wine and everything. I can't necessarily enter the wine store to go to my friend's dinner party and be like, Spain, I'll find my solution, like what I want to bring to my friend's table by going to the Spain section. Like, I would love to see if there's other ways, like more experiential, kind of like sort the wine as an experience in the store. Just like, hey, what are you looking for? Like a chill night, you know, weekday night, um, you know, that you want to take it easy. You know, a couple of selections. Some can be coming from South Africa. Some can be the local one. Just, like, I, I don't know. Like, I'm just like, I'm still like baffled sometimes how very, very simple and totally arbitrary on attributes that I'm not sure consumers are valuing that much. Anymore. If anything, anymore, anymore. Yes. If anything, I kind of, I go by the country because I kind of have an idea of what the price point is going to be as a result. Hey, I want a cheap red. Let's go Argentina, Chile. 
like it has, it has nothing to do with taste or anything like that. It's just like, oh, like this is kind of like, I know that's going to fulfill my weekday need or something. Now some can alcoholic, pardon me, but like, hey, like it's just like the, it's like the weekend. I want to, you know, expect a different experience. Let's go local. Or let's just go like, I don't know, I'm reminiscent of France. But it's like the country in itself is is more like, well, I guess that's where I'll find the, what I'm looking for. What about what about color? I mean, we were talking um, offline about you can pick your mood. There's an interface for Spotify. You can pick your color for your mood. Well, color in mm -hmm. wine actually does tell you something. I mean, mm -hmm. there is a kind of indication of something. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I don't, I don't, it's not always perfectly accurate, but maybe it's as accurate as the average consumer, you know, going through. And if you just ordered the color of the wine from, mm -hmm. you know, basically clear to a deep red, mm -hmm. Wouldn't that be helpful? I don't know. Yeah. yeah. Look, I think I think you need to have a, a unified or you need to have a pretty large footprint or pretty large amount of data to be able to implement such a system. Uh, the, the SAQ a couple of years ago launched uh, their little color scheme. So you would see based on the color that they would put on each and every bottle what kind of a wine uh, it was. Um, I'm also look, look, circling back onto what Laurie was saying. Uh, we are seeing in, in the, the world of wine, consumers are seeking nat natural wines, organic <laughs> wines, uh, uh, minimum minimum uh, handling kind of a wines. You're looking at different trends, different pattern. We're looking at sustainable wines. Uh, we're looking at different packaging. And when you're walking into these shops, they all they have in terms of data and products is what's been there for the last 15, 20 plus years. Mm -hmm. So if as a consumer, you're seeking a natural wine, you go to some sort of a specialized natural wine section and there's three wines. Mm -hmm. uh, and so that amount of information flowing back and forth, I think there are some attempts by some bottle mm -hmm. shops uh, to discover. And look, I mean, to all do, do credit to some bottle shops, they, some of them do have some really knowledgeable stuff, mm -hmm. right? It still remains a subjective purchase. Uh, the challenge is that I, I agree with, the, with what Laurie is saying. The discovery of the product behind the bottle is actually very difficult. If, if isn't I'm there a problem that we don't want to talk to people anymore? I mean, isn't this <laughs> a problem that we have? That yeah, yes and no. You know, I mean, the wine yes expert no. is the best. It is. It's always been the best. It has never been replaced. I think by anything else, but we don't have time we we're like oh we got to go talk to somebody but, in the store and ask them their opinion and they're going to ask us what we're going to eat we don't even know what we're going to eat and like and then you don't talk to anybody and you grab something in your price point and you leave i mean i don't know but I, I think i think some of these things that yeah <laughs> but i think that some of the things that the, the uh, like some touching on that i mean they're basic merchandising um like um yeah when i would go to the bottle shop uh, near me it's just categorized in a classical way based on region i can't go in and find a display of like you know try out low low weight bottle like here's some wines that are shipped in very uh, eco-friendly bottles and for me as much as i uh you know like to explore wines especially i like wine events um it, it's just going to a shop shop to like to get me off of my daily off, off of my you know my house wine like what i need i need something more than oh try a different region that's it's that's that doesn't necessarily 
speak to me and getting me to pick a different house wine or to or to try and try and experiment around and be like oh here's some here's two or three you know lightweight options um mm-hmm. be like oh yeah i'll try them instead of my normal 500 gram bottle yeah and from from a merchandising standpoint for all the wine producers listening i think the key takeaway here is uh, consumers are no longer just looking for a red wine they're looking for a sustainable wine they're looking for a natural or organic kind of a wine they're looking for a lighter bottle something different if you are as a producer producing something that's organic something that's natural something that's minimum intervention make sure to put it on the bottle make mm-hmm. sure to, to 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 have each and every consumer looking at your website looking at your bottle to be aware of it because mm-hmm. even that level of information is hard to get by yeah and i think this is why uh, you know especially like online um, like new not new but e-commerce like channels like um Again, I hate to say always like Drizzly, but we've seen this one on this Instacart and everything, or Amazon in Australia, where you can buy wine. Uh, they ask, it's mandatory to enter uh, a product to not only have a front image of it, but a back, because Amazon knows very well that all this type of information will be on the back label, and that is relevant to consumers. So it's really it's really interesting. And what our channel has been noticing, and I know I talked about that a bit in a couple of earlier episodes, but some of these elements are being they used to be non-present on the label then made their space at the back of the label and then some of them start making being visible on the front of the label altogether like for like the you know like the in-store experience so it's really interesting not that you want to placard that logo and certification everywhere um and some of those when i say logo like um it doesn't have to be like even like the official logo but just um like what you stand for like you know like proudly female owned you know like like you don't need the official certification but it's just like it's a differentiator that will make sense to a certain category of consumers that will um you know make the, the final decision between two different products and opt for your own for example so it's, it's very interesting i would encourage wine producers to you know think of like what makes them stand out that you already have that could be a differentiator um you know in, a, in that way mm. I, was, I was talking to a, a a winery about three weeks ago uh, and they were suggesting that they changed their label so you're, you're you're talking about having like the the female owned attribute being displayed right uh, and they have been using qr code uh, for a few years now and they've changed their label to put the qr code on the front which if you think about it, a barcode or a QR code being on the front of the label, it's, it's just traditionally, it's ugly. Design-wise, <laughs> yeah. it's ugly. But they changed that and they actually noticed that people were scanning them more and they saw a, a, uh, an uptick in sales. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so I would definitely suggest for to winemakers, to wineries, try something different. Even though you're, you're not comfortable with it, if you need to change it next year, fine, try it at mm-hmm. least as opposed to adopting the de facto. Um, so mm-hmm. having that QR code at the front, the, we're suspecting at the shops, we're suspecting in different places where the bottle was advertised, people just naturally went, oh, let's have a look. Let's see what it shows, right? Uh, as opposed to having it in the back label, which requires the consumer to pick up the bottle or flip it around or do something with it. 
and you go to the bottle shop and never will you just flip every single bottle to have a look at the back labels. Mm. Right. So yeah, lots of food for thought in this. All right. So what about uh, in, in, in restaurants as you know, the cool kids from tech insiders call the on trade, uh, Nick, what, is there any, what, what's the, how is the restaurant experience? Is it, is it in a good state these days? Um, can tech help? Yeah, I think, I think tech can help. I mean, I think, you know, I think um, at the, uh, at the, uh, at the sort of top end of the market, we see electronic wine lists coming in now that gives a lot more scope to be able to tell quite a detailed story um it's unquestionably a training aid for the sommeliers as well as the clientele as well and in fact in most instances it's it's probably it's probably more of a training aid for the sommelier that enables the sommelier to be able to engage with their patrons better so you know the patron might browse the electronic wine list they sort of you know, they dig into the sort of the detail behind the listings. They ask the sommelier, what do you think? Do you think this is going to go well? And the sommelier says, well, what are you looking for? And then actually their knowledge has already been significantly expanded and they're able to say, yeah, that's great. Or actually, why didn't you try this if you like that? Um, so I think that's, that's, that's great in terms of technology it works we see it we see it working in action within our setup at 67 Palmal. um but obviously 767 Palmal is a very specific use case given they have um 4, bins on the list um not many restaurants have 4, 000 bins um and then of course at the other end of the spectrum um mm. it's it's just about you know the 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 reducing down of things the ultimate curation of a list that um goes with the the style of food and the menus that are put together so um how can tech help that i don't know i think tech can help maybe on the sourcing side not necessarily in terms of the um storytelling within the um within the outlet restaurants anybody else have some some thoughts Okay, yeah, so let's we, move on. We can definitely, we can circle back on data. Uh, and, and the whole idea is if, as a winery, making sure that wherever you're selling your wine, even if it means to add a physical spec sheet in each and every case, make sure that everyone who gets your wine knows about the, the different, the new style kind of attributes, the sustainable, the women own, the, all the small batches, the, the, what was the weather like that year, you really want that information to just flow through to consumers, but also to the restaurants, right? It's not because they have a sommelier that they necessarily will be able to, 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 to tell consumers, hey, by the way, this one are completely net zero in their production. Mm -hmm. And consumers are increasingly demanding that. So whatever information you have as a producer, make sure it flows out for sure. Which brings us to marketing. Laurie, what are the things that your clients are are looking at what are you looking at i know that outshinery is going through a lot of uh changes looking to the future doing more what what is out there for marketing your wines 
I think um, like the biggest trend, and again, like that's a testament to the, the wine industry being a little bit behind is what we call like enhanced product content uh, for, like, for, the digital, like, for the digital shelf. And it's going beyond, you know, the standard bottle shop, the front bottle shop. Like even that, as we know, can be challenging for the industry to fulfill, to have like a, a nice representation, photo ID of your product you're selling. Um, but like what we see, what we know, and where we see more and more wineries uh, embracing is, I think, much more than that ID pictures and really having marketing-led product content um, so that we know that as soon as you have like more than three images of your product in a listing, um, the increase in sell is drastic. You have just like much more of an experience online. Again, like I said, mentioned at the beginning, uh, when like, the user cannot, the shopper, sorry, cannot taste the wine. So just giving like more clues on how the wine is going to taste or how it's going to fit in uh, the person's life. So like the, the biggest thing, the biggest trend we're seeing is like this immense, um, like more varied, more, user-focused um, visual content um, of the product, more varied. Uh, so having like the same skew, having a collection of visual assets uh, would then be displayed not all at once, but relevant to the persons um, looking at the listing. So that's, that's really interesting and really uh, challenging because at the end of the day, a wine that's why it's so rich um, as a product is a bottle of wine is not just for one type of demographic, right? Like the same bottle of wine can fulfill exactly the needs of the wants of like one consumer category at one point in time and then another one somewhere else. So just like being able to talk and speak to this is challenging for the industry, but with technology, we can better fit uh, consumers' lives. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> what about finding this demographic? Is this mostly a top-down thing, meaning, okay, let's make a wine for young women, young men, whatever, high income, low income, whatever. Or are there, are there interesting ways where kind of like what Seb was talking about in terms of discovery and everything, where you can find your market um, for your wines and discover, you know, who to target? Yeah, I think uh, if you go too, too targeted uh, and too, too much of an obvious branding exercise, uh, people can smell the bullshit and <laughs> especially like the younger generation and just like, like just to be like, oh, okay, I'm being sold to. Um, but um, I think it, like, it, it's a marketing exercise. And then that thing that's also why RTDs are so popular it's that much easier to experiment and see what sticks and like with what message and then keep on producing compared like to, to wine um, that way. Um, so it's it's kind of like interesting. And like I've, I've talked about this before, but like a summer water, which is like a, a rosé that was spun out of like the wink offering. It's just been, it's obviously targeted to younger feminine crowd. It's, it's got like light pink and all of this. And it's a smashing success, uh, right? Like it's just like, so it's, but it's been cleverly um, executed and it's delivering on an affordable like rosé product that you can be confident bringing um, to your beach party uh, with your friend. Um, so it's like what we see our channery is like some bigger wineries that would experiment with like sub brands so that consumers don't necessarily know that it belongs to that overall to just allow more for experimentation and a bit more following the taste. And I'm 
talking not just like palate taste, but like consumer behavior, um, like habits and taste right now to see what happens. And I think that's right now in the low alcohol wine, that's what's happening, what we are seeing. It's like, hey, it seems to be a demand there. Does it need to like, you know, what are we doing? How are we communicating this? Sam, what about for small wineries? I mean, how how can they discover this? How do you see them doing it? Is it just taking a chance, following a trend? Um, or are there interesting ways where they can find their market or, or build a wine for a market? And I think Seb went, got frozen, okay. Um, he's stuck Ooh. in Spain still. <laughs> Nick, were you, did, you, did, you have, uh, did you want to jump in? Could you repeat that, please? Ah, okay. Let's, let's go to our I, next I, okay. I, I, heard, I heard Seb, and um, oh. sorry, I was, um, I was uh, um, sort of um, in a parallel universe to your point. Okay, let's go to, let's go to our final topic, uh, production, and let's talk about also, you know, with the idea of sustainable production, climate change, all of these topics. Um, uh, what, what are, you know, what are the problems that, um, uh, wineries are facing and, and where can, um, tech help here? Um, anybody got some, some ideas to start with? Anyone want to jump in? Well, uh, I think I might jump in. Um, so <laughs> I think that, um, so we've been, uh, starting to work with the sustainable wine, um, round table and, um, for those of you who don't know what they do is they are um, trying to establish a way of comparing different sustainability standards around the world, because, of course, um, it, what you can do towards sustainability is different in different um, terroirs, different locations around the world. Um, and uh, it's not always clear what a certain sustainability standard translates into. Um, but what is uh, quite universal is the interest in understanding whether wineries are capable of measuring their current operations and their current progress. Um, so the only way that you can really do that is with some sort of technology support at that sort of production size to, to be able to monitor, okay, how much water are we using? How much, um, you know, what's our waste? What's our electricity? Where is, where is it coming from? Um, there is a fair amount of bookkeeping to be done in order to monitor your current sustainability and to monitor improvements in your sustainability. Um, and, um, yeah, that's. I, I don't think you just become sustainable um, without having tech be a part of part of that. I really love that this idea of like measuring the progress. It's also like very um, like it, uh, evolving. Like it's just kind of like it's like it's, it's very motivating as well. Rather, like I mean, the certification, the stamp is like really cool, but like it's a final. Like it almost doesn't take into consideration like all the hard work to kind of get there so just like having this progress measurement year over year or like, like that's really really cool yeah didn't think about well, it. and I think what's interesting when you get into the topic is that um, just because you're certified just because you have a, a selection of wineries that are all certified sustainable it doesn't mean that they're all equally sustainable 
I think that's something that has taken that it was very sort of eye-opening and in getting into this into this topic. Um, because a lot of the sustainability standards they do focus on, or there's a large component about what is your improvement. So I think what 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 some of the standards are saying is that this group of wineries have an improvement plan that meets our sustainability standards as much as it means that you know they're all having at least a certain amount of water efficiency or they're all having at least a certain amount of renewable energy um that's that's um actually not um not sort of a universal way it's it's it is measuring or a lot of people get certified through the implementation of a of a process um that mm -hmm. they will have to take forward for multiple years in order to become a more sustainable um, business, which I just, I found very, very interesting. And it, it does make sense. Every business is at a different point and you don't want to completely, you know, um, you know, shut out businesses who are trying, but coming from a very, yeah, what very low um, hurdle, but, you know, you, you, you do need to give them some carrots along the way and not have to wait 10 <laughs> years in order to put a sustainable badge on their winery. Yeah. Well, uh, those are our ideas for the next tech wine startups. And um, please steal them, use them. <laughs> if you uh, like some of the stuff that we're talking about and we can do, reach out to us. Um, um, but uh, good luck uh, with your ideas and... Um, uh, if you want to run an idea past us, I'm sure that um, any of the uh, Wine Tech Insiders would love to, to chat. Um, thanks again for the listening to the Wine Tech Insiders. We'll see you all in a few weeks. Thank you, David. Thanks, everyone.